Hi, I'm Jeremy. I'm a dork living in Portland, Oregon, who spent too many years listening to podcasts and not doing anything creative. This is my attempt to rectify that, to create and contribute something where I talk to people about their cultural obsessions and try to give some recommendations of my own. Welcome to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. All right, should we talk about should we talk about the games? You, uh... Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Just on the on the point earlier about um, sort of uh, games as a mechanism for like political education, um, political radicalization. Um, I guess like one thing I've found pretty hard with trying to do that is like, yeah, ga- games are like really well adapted to teaching systems, like um, sort of the entire like. Uh, real-time strategy or, like, management genre or that kind of thing is sort of really well adapted to, yeah, getting you to learn these sort of systemic interactions and that kind of thing. Um, But, and so, like, yeah, I've tried to do that with kind of socialist politics and that sort of thing. Um, But it's really hard to both, like, explain those systems and make a case for them at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And you are listening to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. Hi, everybody. I am your host, Jeremy, gathered once again with uh, with friends and co-hosts here on a uh, much more fall-like, uh, rainy Portland afternoon in our in our uh, lovely basement studio apartments. Uh, joining me today, uh, going around the room, uh, we have a special guest called uh, special guest skyping in from another hemisphere for the first time ever. Special guest, if you would please introduce yourself to the viewing audience. Hi, everyone. I'm David. Um, I go by Celestia online, um, and I make socialist video games and other radical leftist video games. Excellent. And we wanted to thank you, David, for for taking the time to join us here. Um, and exactly. sitting in the in our studio with uh, two uh, two guest hosts, one old, one new. If you would introduce yourselves to the viewing audience. Um, I'm Kian. And I'm the new one. Cool. Yeah, uh, welcome, Kian. Um, just can you give us a a, a a quick background of uh, as like an introduction to the uh, of yourself? A quick background. Well, I was born in Portland, Oregon, in 1991, <laughs> and uh, I uh, I make art for video games. Cool. There you go. And it was, but yes, thank you. We uh, we welcome you to uh, welcome you to the show, and join us once again is. Hi, I'm Jacob. I'm the guy who discovered all of the Easter eggs in the Oasis and became the ruler of it. Hey, somebody had to. Yep. Excellent. Thank you. Welcome back, Jacob. Is Ready Player One socialist? Hell no. No, it's in fact it's the farthest from. Well, I mean, it has people working collectively to try to stop the corporation from getting control of the oasis right so well right but once they get it but it's the but you gotta remember what at least in the film yeah what happens once they once they actually get it that kind of ends yeah they're they they're just even and even with the uh you know i haven't actually seen the film but it's like what the the female protagonists like her thing is like you know because she actually has like valid reasons for wanting to end this thing she's like okay we're in control of it now this will be great 
And it's like that's Ready Player One is if it's anything, it's like it's it's full on liberal than it is anything. You know, it's sharing, you know, it's sure, you know, hey, you know, it, the system is just fine as long as like the right people control the level, levels of power in this massively alienated, you know, in an ecologically destroyed universe. Well, I don't know if that's true or not, though, because, again, it kind of just stops before we can really see the fallout. I mean, it might have been that they set up, a, you know, collective of a diverse demographic of people who were going to, you know, manage the oasis and make sure that things were redistributed in an appropriate fashion so that everybody actually got what they needed and to try to alleviate the conditions. I mean, it is pretty aggressively anti-corporatist, I think. That's a reasonable read of it. So, I We need some socialist fan fiction of sort of <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, after the end of Ready Player 1. Yeah, Ready Player 2. But it's kind of like a <laughs> A reactionary attitude to like oh, businesses were better when they were just one run by one family yeah and now when they're run by a board of directors and the shareholders so that's you know mm. that that's the evil progress bringing us into the evil future yeah it's corporatism not capitalism yeah so, uh, so, like i said and yet another thing uh, that I was gonna say I don't know if uh, others have done, um, especially like over the last summer, have done like far better like lefty lefty casts on either both the book and the uh, and the film for for Ready Player One. But anyway, I guess but it does bring us into our topic of today is that uh, David, you how would you just you, uh, you are a I don't know <laughs> would you consider yourself well? Let's see, David Wilkin Keen, you are both. Would you both describe yourselves as prog- progressive, uh, not progressive, but uh, professional gamesmen's? <laughs> uh, I probably wouldn't. I don't make enough money from it to call myself a professional. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a, prof- well, you know, I've been having a conflict with the word professional lately in my personal identity, but uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm an artisan to an extent, but I also kind of work in a factory. Yeah, it's, yeah I think I think for most people, you know, being a professional just effectively just mean you know if. It, it it's kind of a mix in the American context is yeah, I can't get money any other way. Yeah, it's like because it's just, I don't have any other skills. Yeah, is uh is you know do you get paid you know if, are you a wage earner do you get paid for this thing? Yeah, but but it, but yeah, but talking about I just say the the power of or the the utility of using of um using games as a as an educational if not like a you know, even like an a, even say like an agitational format even of of explaining kind of like you know being you know uh, being rediscovered like lefty ideas to in what in medium that hasn't really been all that all that decent at decent politics before because <laughs> of like you know that, that's fair understatement <laughs> yeah it's like yeah there's plenty i mean there it's you know the, the video games are always political always have been but they sure as shit ain't uh you know that left is assassin's yeah. creed socialist I don't... um no because well think you know no because no, probably not assassin's no. creed's no. like postmodernist. yeah it's, yeah the story deliberately makes zero sense it's kind of posadist actually Yes. Yeah. There's a great article about the first Assassin's Creed and how it was pretty sort of radical in its politics for the time because it was, I think, like 2006, 2007, maybe a bit earlier. Um, But it's about like a Middle Eastern character resisting the invasion of like white imperialist forces, Um, obviously, as the US is involved Mm -hmm. in many Middle Eastern wars. See, and you guys looked at me like I was stupid. 
Well, because because I'm I'm Celeste has got well, my back. Well, but also you be, because you got to remember um, conspiracy theories. Believing in conspiracy theory doesn't make you a social. Doesn't give you a class agenda, right? Like no. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it's a. Yeah, I mean, yeah. In fact, it's one thing. Eventually, coming up, coming up, or I'm been, I'm putting together an episode just about the the functions and the mechanisms of conspiracy theory. It's one of the things that I have work, coming in the hopper. Hopefully, we'll record in the next few weeks, but I gotta, I'm got i securing guests on that. So, But, uh, David, I wanted to be on, because you have, at least through the uh, the platform that is... <laughs> just, the fact that they just call it, it's just referred to as itch. Like I said, it's just it, it's almost, you know, it's not quite titch, it's just, you know, yeah. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but through, you know, for through itch.io or itch.io or just, you know, or just itch... Oh, like yeah, I have been, no clue how you meant to say it. <laughs> yeah, it's like you've been. Uh, can you talk about like just uh, um, I guess your you know your own particular work both on there and like what kind of I guess your background as to um, how you kind of arrived at your particular I don't know political tendency if you can call it that and how and why you decided to bring that to uh, you know to you know to this particular form, uh, medium if you will. Uh, well, yeah, it was pretty, like, coincidental at the start. Um, basically, around the point in my undergraduate degree where I wasn't just insanely stressed with, with study, um, I started both, like, yeah, working working on games, which I'd been meaning to do for a while, um, and, yeah, reading Marxist theory. Um, and so, yeah, just, <laughs> that was most of what I was reading, so that was what I what I made games about. Do you think of your games as propaganda, or is it? Are you just sort of describing reality as you uh, see it? Pray, pray varies between the games. Like, oh, okay. yeah, there's there's some of them where, well, like, yeah, post capitalism, I was pretty much trying to put forward like a, an optimistic socialist politics in a pretty sort of straightforward way. Um, other ones, yeah, just sort of, uh, sort of more more vague in their goals like um uh representing sort of the historical violence of capitalism or looking at sort of how games reproduce capitalist ideologies that kind of thing um yeah so, so i'd say some of them are explicitly explicitly propaganda excellent yeah and if, and if folks if you like to check out some of david's games just go to i believe the url for it is just colestia which is what c-o-l-e-s-t-i-a dot i-t-c-h dot i-o which will be in the show yep. notes and so it's, it's so um was it just so it was just kind of a thing where you were this was just you, you decided to make the two because you were already like kind of leaning into, into games and uh and you figured hey i'm reading this stuff too and wanted to do something different because this was like you started putting games out in what 2014 2015 yeah yeah around then um well so like uh one of one of the early ones was um about like marxist crisis theories um mm -hmm. and that was essentially i think i made that like the couple of days after i'd been reading that part of capital um so yeah, that was that was sort of me just trying to uh, solidify my understanding of uh, that reading of Capital, um, and yeah, putting in game form mostly for my own purposes. Capital definitely does frame itself in as like um, sort of like as a programming language, you mm. know, like it's, it's or or it's trying to explain like the the language of capitalism. I definitely thought of it. I mean, I didn't get very far, but. All the like A equals B 
equals C. Yeah. Stuff. Well, right. Yeah. It, it was like it was during the middle, like the mid nineteenth century, and everybody was coming up with like way. You know, you had, science was becoming a thing, its own separate mm. thing, and you had and people were in. You know, math was getting math was getting a lot better. So you had people like you know, like uh, like Maxwell's equations were you know had become a thing in like the eighteen thirties, where this weird thing about like you know electricity and magnetism. Guess what? You can model this into equations. So like, what else can we put equations to? What? Yeah, it's it's, a, it's really it's like object oriented programming. Everything is a class. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, in more uh, than, in more I'm... ways than one, <laughs> but right, like yeah. you you have your. Um, your your exchange value and your value and all those well, yeah even those know, sort of basic circuits of like, like uh, MC M prime like money commodity money um, yeah though it's all sort of very like at such a high level of abstraction that it's yeah pretty easily translated across to yeah, <laughs> do like a programming format. folks this is jeremy just popping in here if you like what you're hearing why not help us uh, make the show you can support us for as little as a dollar a month donated through our patreon which is at patreon.com slash giving the mic every little bit helps thanks okay so uh so david can um and i think Jacob, if you have any questions about like particular games, feel free to jump in too. It's like, can you can you take us through kind of, I want to say like your your evolution of like the stuff that you're putting out from you know because it's taken on like several different forms, but at least there's very much because like, what you do all of your stuff in Unity, correct? Uh yeah. Oh, some of the early ones were in Game Maker. Um, but yeah, that was before Unity was as good at doing two D games as it is now. So. Yeah, personally, don't think there's much need to go to Game Maker. Excellent. Can you walk us through some of the your earlier titles, just so like what, like what you you know, but like yeah, you did the one for that was just was it Crisis Theory? What was the yeah Crisis Theory? Okay, you had Crisis Theory, and you had like at least like I think you've done at least like eight, eight or nine ever since. Like yeah, I, I think it might be um, twelve now. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Add it up out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, I guess the the earlier ones, yeah, it was pretty much just I was reading this piece of theory and sort of while also making video games, sort of just seeing seeing connections between game design and uh, and the theory. So like, yes, yeah, for crisis theory, um, I think in particular it was the idea that the sort of accelerating crises of capitalism could kind of resemble a difficulty curve in a game. Um, Things just moving faster and faster, tending more and more towards crisis. Um, oh. Yeah, that, that sort of mapping onto the difficulty curve idea. And it, yeah, the, some of the other early ones, like I, I was reading a lot of situationist theory and sort of like um, Marxist theories of geography and the city and that sort of thing. <laughs> Situationist International was an artistic and political movement active in Europe from 1957 through 1972. Situationists were those post-war bohemians we imagine living in continental cafes, who, like the Surrealists before them and Baudelaire's plein air, wandered through the Parisian streets and stumbled upon spontaneous, continuous, ever-changing experience. And seeing how, like, that description of the urban form as sort of subtly guiding desire and preference and that sort of thing that having a lot of similarities to how like level designers talk about guiding players through an environment mm -hmm. 
yeah, so that kind of thing. The the earlier games were very much that kind of thing of seeing some similarity between Marx's theory and like a game design practice. <laughs> How much Gita board did you wind up reading? Uh quite a lot actually. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a I'm a big board fan. It was one of the, yeah. He was Gita board did Society of the Spectacle, and mm. was very. I can't remember. He was he a was he a founding member of. Situ- of the SI, like situationist, situationist. Uh, uh, I think so. Yeah, okay. um, he was part of the the letterists as well, which was the sort of precursor group. Gotcha. I got an anecdote about um, my experience playing the post-capitalism game. Go for it. The first time I played it, I couldn't figure out how it worked. Like when you when you change too many things, uh, other other aspects of society that you've already changed start to revert to their capitalist mm. forms, and you're supposed to like right-click and drag to connect them. But for some reason, I couldn't figure out how to do that. I don't know if my mouse was messed up or what. Mm. So I just kept trying and kept going around in circles and trying to draw those connections and failing. And I got frustrated and gave up. And I think that that was Mm. actually, you know, that was actually a really uh, accurate simulation of a lot of activist (laughs) movements. Yeah, 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 true. But I guess much more depressing than I intended it to be. I came came back to it uh, today and I, I did figure it out and I beat it and... I, don't, it was, I think maybe it was a little bit. It, it felt like, oh, this that was easy, you know. I, I'm not <laughs> not sure if that quite squares with my experience as much as the first playthrough. Yeah, um, well, I guess yeah. With that, I was trying to yeah try it. Like I was explicitly abstracting all of that sort of actual very messy business of activism and organizing and that sort of thing um as a way of just kind of getting to the question of like yeah what would a socialist world look like mm-hmm. yeah i like that i think that's probably my favorite one because it's both a it's it's nice and self-contained and and um i'm trying to think i think the it wasn't until, i can't remember if it was like either like right clicking or if like actually holding the button because i think some of the uh because i think yeah some of your uh, i think some of your games is, seems to be Somewhere between like game and actually more like experience and or installation. That's what. Mm. Um, but it's like it couldn't figure out like it was like oh yeah I have to like you know do this other like button trick to like hold these things together and then you know you can kind of abstract from there. But mm. yeah, yeah, I have I have realized that I am still very bad at actually like tutorializing my game elements. Like <laughs> you'd think I would have learned how to do that more after however long I've been doing this, but yeah, <laughs> I'm improving. As far as I know, of the games I played, post-capitalism seems to be the only one with a actual quote-unquote win condition. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, the uh, I guess the others have endings which aren't always particularly good. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, ones I think there's one yeah one called Sediment, which is definitely ends, but that ain't a win mm. condition, so. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, post-capitalism is probably the most optimistic of them. There's... Yeah, the others seem to be mostly critiques from what I could see. I mean, mm. Night in Nowhere, Visible City, Croatoan, Daydreams, they're all, I mean, not even exactly socialist by my reckoning. They're more anti-capitalist, that was my reading of them. Mm. Well, yeah, like I have uh, have been trying more recently to move away from like just doing pure critique. Um uh, and it, like in the the games I'm working on now, um, trying to, yeah, well, and post capitalism as well, um, yeah, trying to actually present an alternate alternate future um, as opposed to just saying, yeah, here's here's all the things wrong with the world. Um, I mean, seem like most people know that world's in a pretty shit loca- location at the moment. Um, yeah, just sort of repeating that in different ways <laughs> doesn't seem super productive. I don't know. I, I do it a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's definitely well, important. Actually, yeah, it's that... a good point. It probably hasn't produced anything. I was say, oh, what... but I, like, I feel it's got to be you, the critique has to be linked in to some vision of an alternative, or otherwise, it's just leading you to pessimism, depression. Uh, yeah, like nineties like cynicism, as it were. Because I'm old enough that I remember. Uh, I remember how it's uh, like a lot of. It was like I'm in I'm in my early forties, so I have uh, I came of age in I think I first went to university about ninety four or so. So the like guy mm. was I, I was you know just full on um, in uh, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which was had like a long history of like a lot of like oh, I want to see but whatever you know that had switched from radicalism to much more activism. And the, the way different uh, lifestyle uh, changes that that happened, where it really was kind of much more like, you know, yeah, point, pointing out how shit was bad, but not necessarily, you know, anything sort of like pointing out where you, you know, envisioning what you wanted it to be or something programmatic or something. Yeah. Mm. But I mean, it's important, like if, because there are a lot of video games where you can win at capitalism and mm. it's kind of, it's important to point out that that's not really possible necessarily. Yeah. There's a term for like a game that doesn't have a win condition and doesn't have like a lot of what what's what are called ludic elements. Sim City. <laughs> well, <laughs> but uh, like they they're generally called not games, like game, like sort of interactive pieces of art that uh you know are supposed to evoke a feeling but don't involve necessarily playing around or trying to trying to win a, a contest. Mm. And that's a whole, there's a whole, um, you know, there, there's a whole art scene for that. Mm. Well, yeah, like in, in my experience, the the best socialist versions of like sort of really ludic uh, systems-based games um, have usually been like mods of other games. Um, like, yeah, I've, I've been really enjoying um, Hearts of Iron 4 with a whole bunch of different socialist mods installed, that kind of thing. Cool. Um, yeah, I like the just the sort of 
raw amount of like time and programming knowledge and skill they- required to make those sorts of things. Um, I think, yeah, it means it's easier what? to do um, through like modding an already existing framework. Hmm. What mods are you talking about? I I have not heard of them. Oh, so are you talking about Kaiserreich or? Yeah, yeah, Kaiserreich, um, the the modern day mods, um, the like Soviet rework mods. Um, yeah, I mean, like, have any of you played Hearts of Iron? Oh yeah, uh, I tried it once. My my um, for folks who don't know, Hearts of Iron and also is a, a game by it's Paradox. Paradox. Yeah, Paradox. Mm. Who uh, has who has done everything from Stellaris to Crusader Kings to you know Europa Universalis, and this was kind of the mm. this is their what effectively what like World War Two simulator? Yeah, yeah, nineteen thirty six yeah. ni- to nineteen forty five. And um, if you're not in the know, Kaiserreich is what well, you describe it as kind of like an alternate universe, what alternate universe interwar period. And it kind of mm. went from there, isn't well, it's it? Where Germany won the First World War, and mm. because of that, conquered half of China or something crazy like that. Yeah, I think it's very <laughs> optimistic. I think yeah. that like France becomes like a syndicalist uh, country, and it's like, dude, if France lost the First World War, they would have become nasty fascists. They just would've, yeah, they would have <laughs> yeah, just been, they would have been just like Germany. <laughs> You know what? What goes into changing how you make a game that's not just critique, but also something that tries to posit a I don't necessarily not necessarily like like a utopian vision or anything, but at least a an alternative vision of or, or like a goal or something. Like what actually goes? You know how is there? You know, can you think of any particular way of like how you would approach designing and and making from that? Like, you, you well, know. I feel like yeah. One one thing which one other thing which games are really good at generally as a medium is sort of yeah making immersive environments. Um, and I feel that's sort of one way to yeah pre- present these alternatives. Or at least this is one thing I've tried to do and and still trying to do. Um, uh, so yeah, like if I've got a sort of first person exploration game or something like that. Um, imagining how that world would be changed from like the most minute level of like uh how will the arrangement of these rooms differ um up to yeah sort of big questions of like how what will political organization look like and that sort of thing um yeah i i feel games are particularly well suited to that kind of um environmental storytelling environmental world building um and yeah, re- representing alternate worlds in that way, rather than sort of just the level of abstraction of like, I don't know, workers will own the means of production or something like that. It was the the remember <laughs> there when you mentioned environmental storytelling, just that the uh, the the online joke of like, look, I you know here it's a game. Oh, you know, environmental storytelling in games is you have a toilet and you put a skeleton by it. And depending on how you put the skeleton around, uh, what kind of toilet? There's your there. There you go. Check it out. You're now an environmental storyteller. You know, <laughs> go to town. Well, yeah. I hopefully a <laughs> bit more thought going into it than that. Um, well, like, yeah. This is, uh, yeah. Not not so much presenting the like utopian vision, but like I think one of the early things I did uh, in this kind of vein. Um, was uh in one of the early games new letters um uh 
yeah, I, I tried to sort of get across this sense of like the the environment being sort of arranged in these particular arcane ways and that sort of thing. Um, so like uh, if you draw lines between some of the key buildings on the map, they all like intersect at this one central point um, or if if you like walk downhill from any point on the map, you end up at this one central point. Um, yeah, just sort of that type of uh, like subtle environmental detail, which yeah, I, I don't really know if it works or not, but um, <laughs> that, that's sort of the kind of thing I'm going for. I said, well, it's wor certainly worth at least trying. Jacob, <laughs> you, did you have a question? I noticed that there aren't really a lot of what you would describe as characters in these games for the most part. Uh, mm. The most notable exception, I suppose, being Croatan, mm. where you're basically going around and having these conversations with these various science fictional characters. I was wondering to what extent that was a deliberate choice or just an artifact of the particular types of games you were making. Uh, I th to I mean, be honest, I think it's mostly because um, I like really hate my dialogue writing. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, basically try, try and avoid that as much as possible. I'm much more comfortable writing random political analysis than uh, actually realistic dialogue. Um, yeah, that's, so that's it, no, no particularly deep meaning ah. to that. <laughs> well, beyond that, I mean, there's also the fact that your characters, visually speaking, tend to be very, very reduced to the most essential elements. You just sort of got a head and a body, and that's pretty much it. Mm. Are you um, using Unity? Well, yeah, again, I think that? that's... <laughs> the, like at least started out as my 3D modeling skills being as bad as my dialogue writing skills. Um, but yeah, like not focusing on those elements has definitely meant I've focused on other elements. Um, yeah. Well, I think it is effective in some of these, you know, particularly uh, Night in Nowhere. It kind of emphasizes how atomized and disconnected the player character mm. is. Also, if I'm going to be totally honest, I don't understand what the Summerton man has to do with socialism. I did not understand <laughs> yeah, that's, that. Yeah, that's probably at the all. least socialist of any of them. Um, oh, I that that was just uh, yeah. Like I I read a lot about that, like uh, uh, true crime history and that sort of thing. Um, I and yeah, I think. I was trying to sort of go back over random ideas I'd had for, for game design for a while and try and implement them quickly. Um, that one was, yeah, sort of representing a, like, police investigation where it just kind of, like, trails off into dead ends, no real no real solution. Um, although, yeah, I guess the, the kind of communist tie-in is the theory that he was actually a, a spy, a communist spy. Yeah, fair enough. I found that Not one sure. particularly interesting because I'm very interested in the display of information. Mm. And so even though it was, I guess, arguably the least video game-like of all the stuff I played, it was the one that I was probably the most entertained by just because I'm very curious about how you 
arrange ideas and put them together and try to make connections. Mm. Well, so yeah, like I, I was to trying to sort of um, have like, yeah, the, the kind of motion of the information as you're going around um, representing like, yeah, uh looping back around to where you started without having really got any answers or yeah going off on these little paths which don't actually really lead you anywhere um sort of getting that that feel of a yeah unsolved investigation in the kind of visual layout of the text i read this article about this guy who was investigating the case like in modern times and he wound up falling in love with like the granddaughter of the nurse who was involved yeah. in the case and um, wound up it, marrying um, her. Derek like, Abbott? Yeah, um, that was fascinating. What is this? Well, did you play? Oh, yeah, should, no, I didn't, I didn't play this one, and I, I'm not familiar with this. Uh, Which one was this one? Summerton Man. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to, I don't think I did, that, that one I don't think I actually played. I played like, a lot of the other ones, but not that one. Bunch of fake um, geek girls here tonight. I tell you what. <laughs> oh, I really don't play very many video games at all. <laughs> nah. Um. Well, yeah. That that one was about um a unsolved murder um in Adelaide in the 1950s. Um, which yeah, just interesting bit of true crime history. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, feet in. Oh, uh, one of the things that I've noticed is, can you talk about how in um, how you choose like music is a part of like each game? Can you talk, uh, David? Can you talk about how how you wind up going about just choosing the music, mm. which I think is well it tends to be like 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 a track on a loop. The music mm. was really consistently solid across these. I think good, mm-hmm. very good choices. Ah, uh, oh, thanks. Um, well, yeah, like they're pretty much all like uh, public domain, <laughs> public domain tracks um, because I don't have the money to commission anything or really the the skill to write much. Um, but yeah, I think mostly, uh, well, yeah, just, just trying to capture, capture the mood of the game. Um, like I think probably the one which had the most sort of theoretical thought going into the background was for post-capitalism. Um, Cause yeah, I, I was, yeah, like making the game and also trying to, read and watch and listen to as much like solar punk uh stuff as possible um for kind of aesthetic inspiration um and yeah so the track for that was meant to be yeah within that sort of solar solar punk feel of uh yeah kind of synth wave but also kind of uplifting optimistic rather than sort of uh uh, gritty, grungy, cyberpunk synthwave, that type of thing. Can you describe solar punk for for the audience? That's something that, that's only really been around for as a as a named thing for a couple of years now, hasn't it? It's yeah, yeah, I think so. Like I I am by no means an expert, but um, I'd say generally the idea is yeah, if cyberpunk is representing this sort of corporate dystopia with um sort of the the like hyper individualized heroes or anti-hero um uh the the hacker the the punk like taking down the taking down the system um solar punk is meant to be like in the first place more optimistic um so presenting sort of yeah positive alternative futures um, very inspired by like murray bookchin and eco-socialism hence the the solar uh just sort of 
buildings covered in solar panels and that sort of thing. Oh, um, solar punk as opposed to steampunk. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so sort of very uh, optimistic alternate uh, political futures. Oh, okay. Cool. I, I, I think I've, I've seen the term going on, but I don't, I don't think I've, ever, I've seen it refer, use that as a descriptor on actual, on music yet. Mm. But I guess well, it's kind this, of... Oh. Like, yeah, I don't know how much stuff there is being made as sort of, like, being made with the intention of being solar punk. Um, there's definitely lots of random playlists in solar punk subreddits and that kind of thing, just with, yeah, that sort of... Um, uh yeah basically less depressing synthwave going back to i think when we were talking about like the professional tip did you you did you did you yourself ever think about ever wanting to do to be a uh, a professional gamesman or you know to do this uh, to actually do this kind of a thing full full time or was it one of the things where just the conditions of the industry are such that you didn't want to get anywhere near it uh yeah probably for a time i would have wanted to go into the go into the industry like less so now as i'm more aware of the the working conditions um and yeah like it, it has basically always been a been a hobby while i've been studying and doing other things um but yeah definitely the ongoing set of unceremonious firings and horrible crunch and everything uh coming out in Recent months have obviously been going on for a long time, but yeah, it drives home that the the industry is probably not that great a place to work. So, can if you 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 I guess you you qualify as working industry? Can you can, oh, yeah. can you get into uh, what led you into uh, wanting to choose that particular path? Oh yeah, so um, it was between that and doing comics or painting or. Mm. Um, you know, a few other, you know, like writing. And I decided that uh, I could probably teach myself how to do comics. But I had just no idea where to start on how to how to make games. So yeah. I went to art school for games because I have, like, because I'm good at art. But uh, my intention was I wanted to actually make you know like design games i definitely mm. don't do that <laughs> I, I just work on other people's games but mm. that was just sort of like my trying to get a shoe in the door that way mm. what what's it been your major you know for to the extent that you can actually get into get into it on an open mic what's been your experience in the industry so far mine my experience has been pretty good um i That's uh good. yeah i uh I don't work as hard as a lot of other people because I have um I have different sort of personal uh attitudes. That probably helps. <laughs> and um because I'm I'm some kind of hybrid between a, an independent contractor and a um wage worker, I they you know, like the company doesn't control my time the same way that a lot of other people mm are are controlled i can leave whenever i want i can show up whenever i want and mm. often i just like draw when i'm at work and i don't don't do any work uh <laughs> nice but and it's great when i'm working i make a lot of money but what but because i get paid per the project if the company doesn't have any work i don't have any work and i don't get paid and right so it's it's really precarious even even 
you know, the broader industry is precarious, but my job, even within my, my job, is precarious mm. in that way. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. But the, the inter- if the, they are, guys, let's start a union. Yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> and one of these days, we actually will, uh, I'll try to put together a uh, an episode on if not just game, de- you know, game dev unionizing, or you know, just more like on tech worker uh, unionizing, because the uh, the mm. need is out there, and at least on the west, um, I'm not sure about how it, uh, how much of it is burgeoning down there, but at least on the on the American West Coast, it is, it is um, gaining at least attempting to gain uh, some footholds in some major cities. Of course, mm. Portland not being one of them yet, but. Mm. Every once in a while, there's a Twitch streamer or two who mentions the idea of unionizing, but I think the general consensus is that people who stream at Twitch really don't have the personality necessary to unionize there. I don't know. For the most part, high-strung and <laughs> insane and <laughs> prone to getting banned for 30 days for racial epithets, so... But, like, uh... Starcraft pros, they they need a union, and mm. they they are the kind of people who can unionize. Baseball players have a union. Basketball players have a union. Um, mm. I don't know. Well, if, I guess I don't know if chess players do, but they probably need one. Honestly, mm. everyone needs a union. <laughs> yeah, or at least. Or, um, oh, but, go, sorry, oh, go I, I was just going to say on that, like, um, yeah, I've been I've been thinking lately about like how how do you take action in the context of like tech platforms like uh like twitch but also yeah like steam or uh the app store or that sort of thing um where yeah it's it's not an employment relationship um and there's no sort of particularly unified work for like workplace or that sort of thing um Mm -hmm. it seems like you'd have to organize sort of withdrawal of labor in the sense of yeah like Twitch streamers going on strike or like game designers withdrawing their games from Steam for a period of time or that sort of thing. Um, like, do you have any thoughts on what sort of like, uh, like if we got to the stage of having unions in these, in these spaces, like what would union action look like? Well, like the Screen Actors Guild is really powerful and, mm. you know, it's made up of a bunch of, atomized egomaniacs also you know Mm. like uh so it's definitely possible and i mean they don't i don't know they don't the writers the writers strike every once in a while but like the screen actors almost never strike because they just get whatever they want because they're the talent yeah true and (laughs) i mean video games incredibly talent dependent um industry it's not easy to just get someone off the street and teach them how to um how to do some of this stuff, although uh, except for game testers it is, and they're and they're of course the most abused and most exploited. Yeah, like artists yeah. have it way better than them. Well, I mean, there's <laughs> been a rise of those technical colleges, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Most of the people I know in the industry went to Art Institute, which is a an awful for-profit college where they basically had to teach themselves everything. Right. Including some of my like my teachers at school, I went to a better school uh, than them. But I had a friend who went to those. He works at a grocery store now. He's a manager though, so that's pretty cool. Mm. Good for him. <laughs> hey, 
some potential there, yeah. And the uh, but God, I'm trying to think of like what video game schools started. I mean, I'm trying to remember like the you know you'd see like basic cable adverts for those at least like 15 years ago, and you started getting yeah. shit like what was it like Full Sail University becoming a much more of a bigger thing, and at least in the in the middle in the either early or mid W era, so. Mm. Yeah, they were sort of, the for-profit schools were really the first people to start offering it because I guess you know it's an easy way to <laughs> get people's kids, I mean people's parents' money, and you know. So where do you think this guy should be? I'd say this way, and let's make sure that sound effect we used in the last level fits in here too. This one? Yeah. You know. I'm so glad I got into game design. It's cool to be able to create the kind of games that we play. I know what you mean. And the training at Collins College takes less time than most people might think. Can you believe we get paid to do this? Are you aware of anybody else making socialist games? Because I was looking at itch.io and I found uh, the People's Committee of Game Development by Arknick, uh, a game development simulation set in a socialist blah blah blah. And that was basically just, what if you made video games in Soviet Russia? Ha ha. Uh, there was <laughs> right. one called Platelet, which is about a socialist, but I don't think is explicitly socialist. I found uh, Post-Capitalism by somebody named Colestia. I don't know who that is. <laughs> and I found a video game called Sargon's Free Chopper Rides. Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> and it's by somebody who calls themselves Trigger Me. And those were the oh, only well. games I could find that were labeled socialist. So I was wondering if you were aware of anybody <laughs> I, I, else I, I working in this space. So do you know the game Night in the Woods? Yes. That guy's a, that guy's a socialist. But is the game socialist? Well, the characters are all anarch, like teenage anarchists. I haven't played so, it. Yeah, it's on I, my list. I, I, I haven't played it either. But socialist. Yeah. Um, like the the overall sort of arc of the thing is really about like, well, yeah, like decline of these small town uh, like mining towns and in wake of um globalization sort of post-industrial towns um the sort of central character arcs are about like coming to terms with this sort of horribly alienated existence no spoilers please (laughs) um and then there's a guy named there's i think he's like an italian guy named paolo pedricini or something like that Mm. and he's a he's he's a socialist and I think mm. I think he like teaches at uh, like a school in Pittsburgh, you know, um, which is where the folks who made uh, Night in the Woods are based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, but I don't. Yeah, I don't. I think you know he's a teacher, so I don't know how many games he's making lately, but he's definitely got some. Mm. Yeah, like, yeah. I, he he has some very good. I games. think he made um, the game where you have to like breed the perfect dog. And it's just yeah, like arbitrarily yeah. <laughs> chooses like the perfect master race dog that you're supposed to breed for. Well, I think, I, I, think I, yeah, I think I do remember hearing about that. I think that was his. Is that socialist? I'm trying to think. I don't. It's a critique of fascism. Very well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. He did. He did a really good one on like gentrification. Um, he did. Uh, yeah. He, he's done a lot. There's a like a classic. Um, internet game where you you run mcdonald's you know have you ever played yeah that game? yeah i don't remember what it's called <laughs> was that was that him as well no i was a friend of his though i think oh I'm, okay i remember mm-hmm. that i can't remember what the title is i have to look it up 
Yeah, mm-hmm. but so that that game was just sort of like abstractly, you know, Bush era, just sort of abstractly anti-corporate. But I'm pretty sure that the person who made it was a socialist, but I don't know. Mm. Um. Well, yeah, trying to think. Like there was there was the one which just recently came out. Uh, you are Jeff Bezos. Have I, you have you heard of that one? No, that one I haven't. That one. God only knows about that one. No, I have, this one I have not heard of. Um. Well, yeah. So that it's. Uh, like a sort of text adventure type thing, um, uh, interactive fiction. Yeah, basically you wake up in the body of Jeff Bezos um, and have to try and spend all of his money for good uses. Um, so it's sort of, yeah, like uh, putting $22 billion or however much towards like reconstructing Puerto Rico, um, like uh, funding NASA for the next 10 years, that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, just sort of <laughs> putting putting in context his enormous, ridiculous wealth. That's that. Yeah, that sounds like a hell of a choose-your-own-adventure. Yep. What would you do yeah. if you had more money than any single human being should ever have? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, and the overall sort of narrative arc is pretty good as well. Um, it's sort of like all of your extended family coming in shocked that you're spending away their inheritance and then, like, other billionaires coming in and being shocked with how you're uh, <laughs> undermining the billionaire class and that sort of thing. Yeah, so I strongly recommend. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Also, that's great. Um, I can't think of any other ones right now. but Well, it's definitely sort of, uh, yeah, other games which you can play in socialist ways. Like, um, well, yeah, Hearts of Iron, um, uh, Tropico series. Um, oh, yeah. Or, like, it's, it's always had the sort of tone of, yeah, kind of mocking uh, third world socialist projects. Um but yeah, I think you you can play that sort of. Well, the thing about Tropico well. is there's a humorous like attitude to it. But if you do what the Soviet Union wants, like your country does prosper. Yeah. <laughs> like I've <laughs> I've had a like really prosperous good country because I yeah. just did I just did what both superpowers wanted and mm. nobody invaded me. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, that is the one thing of like a little he, bit ahistorical. But. Right, yeah. <laughs> I was going to see what tro- yeah, Tropico is a series that I have uh, I've actually long been a uh, long been a fan of. I'm kind of curious mm. what the uh, what the next one um with the uh what the I think Tropico 6 is coming out in, like within 6 months, so we'll see how they're oh, able to the, update the, that. the like beta is out at the yeah. moment. Vic- oh, okay, Victoria well. 2 is definitely another one, right? That's another mm. paradox game. And Victoria 2 is interesting because uh you're that all the different political parties have different economic agendas and whoever's in power will sort of impose their restrictions on taxes and spending um and just just because of the way the algorithms work, like the liberals, which means like classical liberals because it's the 19th century. Yeah, laissez-faire mm. European style. Like they, Dave Rubin. Yeah, yeah. You are, it, you're just screwed if they ever get in power. They always just ruin your economy because you can't <laughs> raise taxes, you can't spend money, like you can't fund education, and it just it just tanks your economy every time. Like state capitalism is way better. The planned economy is like okay, but like the liberals, you never want them in power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the econo- yeah, the, Vic- the Victoria series is something. Cause I remember I was a big fan of the first one, and I finally learned how to play the second one. I think I've only had like a couple successful like total playthroughs, but 
what was like you had like two different the same company made both games but you had two different two different uh devs who were in charge of the economic system and at least right. with the first one the guy was like much more like you know whether he intended to or not has just said like yeah i just used some like basic marxist stuff to explain how the economy worked and i think i think there was a much different approach it's for a very this. class conscious game yeah much more much more um yeah much um much different for at least in the second game but also less less of the class politics in the second one yeah i don't know i mean the game is all about class like it's fundamentally about managing populations of people in different classes like uh so i don't i don't know i i'm mean, i'm like really bad at fighting wars in that game so i always just like hang out and stay peaceful yeah it's, it's yeah same thing like, like same thing yeah. like civilization is i you know i suck at uh uh i suck at like you know handling it's, i think it's one of the reasons where i never played hearts of iron all that much is that i suck at that kind of like managing you know war games where you have to like have you know multiple fronts of like, stuff going on all at once you know mm. i was of... giving it some thought and the most socialist video game i could think of ironically enough was eve online mm. which is fascinating because in the early days of that game it was really 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 aggressively libertarian Mm -hmm. And it was very much look out for number one, screw people before they can screw you. Mm -hmm. But then a bunch of goons from something awful decided to band together and form a collective. And they really, really, really leaned into it hard. I mean, mm. they make YouTube videos that ironically use North Korean propaganda. And they're all very dedicated to the idea that we all work together to basically screw over everybody else. And <laughs> they had a very, very, very long dominant run just by working collectively. And right. they're kind of, I think, more autocratic these days. But it was really yeah. fascinating to see them basically just completely transform this MMO just by, you know, agreeing to not constantly screw each other over all the time. We'll see. I'm wondering if that's if that's more Bolshevik than socialist, but um... fair enough. <laughs> but it, it it developed organically, which is fascinating. Like the, this was not how the game was intended to be played. actually have one more question oh go for it then okay let's say a major triple a game studio comes to you and they're like we have 500 million dollars and we're giving it to you and we need you to make the most socialist video game you ever saw oh. and you can do anything you want and we're actually we're only going to give you 400 million because we're going to put aside 100 million for the workers and you know we're going to take care of them and we're going to make sure they have health care and we're going to make sure they're working reasonable hours but we need you to basically make the ultimate socialist video game. What does it look like? Oh wow! Um, <laughs> well, like I, I have, I, I guess I, I've struggled to think before of <laughs> yeah, sort of what that would look like off the top of my head. Like I, I 
often think more about like how would I if like Rockstar called me up and we looked past all of their horrible workplace practices um, and yeah was said use the GTA framework to make a, a socialist game or like the Ubisoft open world sandbox framework to make a socialist game. Um, and I thought, yeah, like the, those sorts of frameworks could be put to use to, to do like a fairly realistic account of uh, like autonomous organizing leading to like state violence and revolution and that, that sort of transition to socialism. Um, I can, yeah, could, could represent that without, too much too much difficulty i think inside those kinds of frameworks hmm. um in terms of yeah just the mo- most socialist game of all time um oh, who, who knows i would just take the money and run and make my like uh weird fantasy stuff based on like hindu mythology it's interesting yeah. that you're looking at existing systems and trying to co-opt them because one of the things that I found really interesting about most of the games that I played that you made was that they they felt very unique to me like it was hard for me to think of similar games that I played in the past I mean Mm. there were sort of similarities here and there uh, loosely speaking but they all kind of occupied their own space well I, I guess I like I do still yeah try and start from usually like start from something which is more more common in video games like yeah difficulty curves or um yeah little sort of like city or like city builders or that kind of thing um i mean yeah obviously can't can't make this stuff in a vacuum um so yeah gonna get those basic influences from somewhere sure all right, we've been going for quite a while, and I want to thank you for uh, thank you, David, for uh, for taking some Sunday morning time to uh, chat with us uh, across the ocean here. Oh, the wondrous of technology. Oh yeah. Oh, now we want to switch into I guess recommendations and endorsements, which are much more like what have you been uh, what have you been digging on or enjoying or want to or really want to promote uh, to our viewing audience, and who would like to go first. You got Keegan, you got anything that you've been really wanted to uh think more folks should be checking out? Um, well yeah, I mean if I have a platform I'm always gonna plug James Joyce. Uh Finnegan's Wake, great book. Everyone should read it. If they if or at least give it a shot. Um uh it's like he has the same crazy ideas about how the world changes as Karl Marx, but like absolutely no uh belief that it's ever going to change <laughs> that there's any <laughs> any way to ever do anything about it um fatalist irishman yeah, yeah it's very <laughs> it's good it's really funny um there's i thought of another game there's a game called tooth and tail that oh, is yeah yeah it's sort of like it's sort of like a like red wall in the russian revolution where you're like all these woodland creatures and the woodland creatures like eat meat so they have to kill each other and there there's like a food shortage and all the factions are based on like one of them's one of them is reactionary one's fascist one's uh one's like liberal and one's more like socialist democratic mm. but the 
but all of the factions use like pigs as workers and there's an implication that the pigs are like they're all everyone's just eating the pigs <laughs> and it, and it's like this there's this it's a really interesting statement about power just like because they all have different ideas of the right the reds want to have a don't you democratically decide who gets eaten the <laughs> blues are the liberals they want it you know like people who can afford to eat meat get to eat meat the reactionaries want uh like just lottery like just let god decide and then the, <laughs> and then the and then the fascists uh you know it's just raw power who has them who has the guns and uh but it's just like a statement about power that like power is cannibalism <laughs> which <laughs> i'm kind of into that well I, yeah like i i played it early this year but i remember it doesn't have the most uh optimistic ending no is that not, right <laughs> not at all can't can't imagine why not yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, jacob i am currently reading the gone world by tom sweaterlich i think it's pronounced and I'm really enjoying it. It's basically science fiction, Silence of the Lambs. And it's got this really haunting, melancholy tone that I'm enjoying. And it's about this woman trying to investigate this murder, but it's set in a world where the government has access to deep space and what's called deep time. And she can travel into alternate futures and try to look for information regarding this murder she's working on and there's this event called uh, Terminus that happens at the end of time, and that's basically gradually coming closer and closer every year that they don't really understand. And it's just really atmospheric, and I'm enjoying that very much. It's very much a video game mechanic in uh, in, in fictional form, or in a novel form. Yeah, I'd say there's some elements of that. Uh, David, do you have anything that you've been uh, that you've really that you'd like to share? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, like it, socialists in a video gaming space probably already familiar with this, but um, big fan of the uh, Do Not Eat City Skyline oh, series. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, can you, uh, can, yeah, can you socialist for... who's basically yeah playing City Skylines uh, with this kind of critique in mind. Um, like one of the main series. Well, his his main series is about. Um, tracing uh like fake north american city from pre-colonization to the present um and yeah di discussing things like uh the politics of indentured servitude and slavery and colonization and all those sorts of things which yeah are entirely absent from the the game itself um yeah so that that would be big recommendation um have, have any of you watched it oh yeah yeah. I've uh, I've heard about it from and heard it recommended rec recommended recommended from many people. I have yet to actually sit down and watch one, which is weird because mm -hmm. I, I have I got two mon I have two monitors here, one for playing, one for second monitor, like what you know YouTube YouTube stuff, and I should probably watch it one of these mm -hmm. days. Yeah, I definitely watched all of them. Yeah, <laughs> the the dude has such an amazing dry sense of humor. Mm -hmm. Um. And yeah, uh, beyond that, again, this is probably not not particularly news to anyone in these kind of spaces. But um, like recently, read and then reread uh, *Caliban and the Witch* by Sylvia Federici. Um, so yeah, sort of uh, socialist feminist history of witch hunts and how they functioned as sort of 
foundational violence of capitalism um yeah a- amazing book um big inspiration for my games <laughs> excellent yeah the um we've we've mentioned her before and uh, recommended her before a couple times and even uh she was in she was she came to portland to speak back in february i got to meet oh, her wow. i got to meet her that night and she signed my copy of caliban on the witch and i got a nice photo with her which is hilarious because you have like big dumb me next to her and she's like this kind of like tiny you know tiny little like communist grandmother there um <laughs> you know coming up to me maybe like below my shoulders and it's uh it's pretty good <laughs> so I, gotta, I really gotta find out to see if the if someone ever someone ever recorded proper audio from that event um, mm. But yeah, Caliban of the Witch is good. And I think finally I'll go. I have a couple of recommendations. One is been reading, well, as I say, not just in light of per, uh, recent events, but re- reading Robert Paxton's The Anatomy of Fascism, which is a book that came out mm. in about, oh, four, I think 2004. Robert Paxton was, I believe, an actual like a university professor. I think this was kind of he wrote this book as almost like a distillation of a. He taught this as a class for years, and you really get the idea that he's kind of like you know just distilling and assembling. Um, because he, he kind of t- he focuses mainly on like okay on uh, like Nazism and fascism. So like you got like Hitler and Mussolini kind of breaks down on that, but he's also kind of. Um, his, his he brings a full on like Marxist analysis to it, even though I don't think he ever actually like uh, really explicitly calls it that. But getting into okay, how did it work here? That was very very different from the conditions from how did it work there? And you know how does like you know and talk about why did you know why did thing you know why did this thing called fascism show up in Germany and in Italy, but it didn't show up in France and 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 uh, and Britain. Or, you know, why did it not really, why didn't, why didn't it show up in, uh, you know, as, you know, to the same extent as it, you know, in Spain or Portugal or even America, it was kind of like, like he talks about how like every, you know, every democracy has elements of this in it, but only, it really only came, you know, it needed a very certain set of circumstances to really come to fruition. And it's, it's great. He gets into, uh, helps lay out a lot of stuff and is a far more, there's a far more clear analysis of the history and the mechanics than you're going to get from, you know, 99% of most kind of like, you know, either clickbait or just like regular, like mainstream, like media commentators. So yeah, check, check out Robert Paxton's, um, history of fascism. Uh, also been reading, uh, previously recommended Jordy Peterson's Confessions of the Fox, which is very much kind of a, a like an early set in you know talk, the tale the tale of Jack Shepherd Jack Shepherd kind of like a highwayman set in the in the in early 18th century Britain but with a deliberately modern kind of um, like trans and gender bending take to it uh, that I really recommend um, uh, checking it out. Hey, let's see what else the game I've been playing is Yakuza Zero, which was. Yeah. Uh, the the kind of the the PlayStation Four game that got ported to PC, where you started, it's set in like a Tokyo, uh, a fictitious Tokyo um, neighborhood in like 1988. So you play like a couple of you know young you know young like uh, yakuza hustlers trying to make you know starting out and get through there. And it's it is it is far more like a mix of like Shenmue or Shenmue and River City Ransom than you would want it than you could ever expect. Is it socialist? Uh, not not by any not by any means whatsoever. 
Okay. Although it's very much much more like River City Ransom in that if you go into the uh, you go into the 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 hamburger place you can also you can order a free smile, which was a running <laughs> joke in, uh, in in River City Ransom. All right, uh, that is that. Okay, um, I guess uh, wrapping things up, uh, David. Where can folks find you online, or how can they get a hold of you if you have any questions or anything? Uh, well, yeah, uh, Calestia. Dot itch.io is where where all my games are um they're all all free um all pretty short um and yeah on twitter as at calestia3 um i think tumblr as well um and yeah can just email me at uh calestia3 at gmail.com awesome you guys you can find me at twitch.tv slash Jacob Mercy or just search for Jacob Mercy or on Twitter at Jacob Mercy I don't have an Instagram account yet, and I probably won't, so don't look for me there. <laughs> it won't work. Um, so, Ken, do you have any po- points of contact that you want to you want to give out over the uh, over the airwaves, or or if not? I, I have a Twitter, but I kind of forgot like what my name is on Twitter. You can just use my. Tw- you can just recommend my Twitter if you want. Oh, sounds I, great. Get that double exposure. <laughs> yeah. <That's cool. laughs> Bit of cross promotion. Yeah, there you go. And as always, you can if, um, you can follow the show. We do have, if you've been enjoying this and you would like to help support us making the show, we do have a Patreon where we're ex- where you can help us. Uh, you know, with everything from better equipment to at least just like hosting costs for as little as a dollar a month. You can find that at patreon.com slash giving the mic. Our email, if you have any, I guess. Our email question will be if yeah, if you have any say uh, recommendations uh, of um, of either future show topics or even like you know socialist games that you've been playing and really enjoying and want to tell others of yeah feel free to email us at we are at giving the mic at gmail dot com uh, let's see Twitter is Twitter slash giving the mic we're on Facebook Facebook dot com slash giving the mic and we even have you know like, even our own YouTube channel you know all that sort of fun what about Katamari Damacy. Comedy, yeah, that, that that is that's that's definitely a that is an that is definitely an anti consumer an anti consumerist game. It's more uh, ANCAP, I think. Well, no, it's but it's 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 capitalist critique. In fact, the the maker is if he's even talked about it, that he's deliberately criticizing just the amount of just excess garbage and stuff that is overproduced there that isn't really used to anything. What about Portal Two? Eh, Portal Two. I don't know. Not as. Uh, uh, you could, you might be able to get something into it, but it was, that's much more just like just just dystopic. What about Beat Saber? Never actually played. All right. Uh, uh, Half Life. Half Life Two. Not not Half Life, but Half Life Two. Definitely. Well, anti-game. I thought like yeah. One other got to mention the I, I've forgotten precisely what it's called, but it's you're playing as Stalin, um, and you go across like three five year plans where you've got to allocate money for. Uh, resource production and food and military and that sort of thing and avoid falling into famine or losing to the Nazis or that kind of thing. It's st- strange game, but uh, definitely socialist. Or at least Stalinist, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. Okay, well then, uh, uh, and finally, does anyone have any last words or final thoughts? Yeah, I feel like I sold James Joyce a little bit short. I think that... <laughs> He does think that everything changes like constantly, but I, I think that 
there's just a sense of being alienated by everything, including by people trying to make the world better. So, anyway. What about Pagel? <laughs> I don't remember that What's the What's the class? Well, Tetris, right? Okay, yeah, I can see Tetris. You can make a case for Tetris. <laughs> well, Tetris was a Soviet game, right? Yeah, it was much more yeah. Soviet, but it was also, you know, kind of... Um, I don't know. You have to but get, it's, have to get late Soviet. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's extremely late Soviet. Yeah, it's like '83 or something. So yeah. yeah. Anyway. All right. Um, anyway, yeah. Th- uh, but yeah, thank- I want to say th- th- thanks a lot to uh, David for joining and and Karen for uh, joining us today, and for Jacob to call, uh, for you know biking out in the rain. And I guess um, that's it for us, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you and good night. Good night. is the leading cyberpunk dystopia stoner internet occult late capitalist adjective known Russian bot disinfo podcast. The future is now and it sucks. The algorithm is horny but has no desire. We desire to be like it. We offer ourselves up to the invisible machinery of late capitalism, hoping to make it horny for our content, our data, our entire lives and humanity. It's terrible. It's kind of sexy. Listen to Homo Vulgaris. Embrace gay space third impact luxury anime t-shirt communism. Better living through death drive army. Homo vulgaris. Available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever else fine podcasts are found. Brian Fuller is cool. Oh, for a minute, there, the, the, for, the, for, uh, for a minute there in my head, I had him confused with Brian Singer. Um, no, I am not sure who Ryan Fuller is. Brian Fuller going to be. There aren't enough uh, for Brian Singer to be interested. Right, Brian Fuller did. Uh, what film did he do? What film did he do? Did he do L.A. Um, Confidential or? Well, TV show wise, he's done. Um, he did like he worked on Hamilton. He worked on. He helped develop. Uh, Star Trek Discovery. He helped. You just said Hamilton. Not Hamilton. Um, John Adams. No, ha- uh, Hannibal. <laughs> Hannibal. Very <laughs> different takes. Yeah, the other, the, the other, like uh, the both, other cannibal. Both, both historical figures, but very different takes. Yeah. Hey, I heard. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard the cat meow before. No, she doesn't meow that much. Usually, she would. Uh, she when she would walk in, you'd just hear her uh, her collar jingling in the background. Ah. Stop. Hang on. I'm getting static here. Uh, what is that from? Can you guys hear that? Yeah. No. <laughs> that worked. There we go. I think yeah, the, the, the fun of, occasion, of some of my gear being used and from pawn shops is that it's, it's occasionally not the most uh, effective. Uh, it gives it an authentic vibe. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, I mean, we're all Unfiltered. About, yeah, that's true. In in the 2040s, there's going to be like a whole nostalgic movement where they listen to podcasts from around now, from the early days of podcasting, when the <laughs> when the audio is all messed up, yeah. and they like that grainy sound. It'll be yeah, like, podcast wife. Yeah, it'll be like yeah, it'll be like Ready Player One only. 
can't think of it. not not necessarily you can't say dumber because like that's not possible <laughs> but uh i guess it's a certain you know you know pick your other your other Just... retro retro aesthetic anyway well anyway